Hello everyone and welcome to Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labour and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Raymond Lowe. Here on Employment Matters, we bring you updates from around the world as we reach out to our local ELA lawyers. These good folks practice on the ground in jurisdictions around the globe, working daily to help their clients move around these difficult times. Today, as we are going to be chatting with one of our members in India, I'm pleased to welcome my friend, Atul Gupta, partner at Trilegal. Today, Atul and I will be chatting about an upcoming ERA webinar on legal implications of hiring and managing remote workers in Asia-Pacific. Atul will be moderating the webinar next week, August 18, 2021. Welcome to the show, Atul. How are you doing today? Lovely to connect with you, Raymond. I'm great. I hope you're well too. Yeah, I'm doing great as well. Thank you. Now, Atul, many of us here are looking forward to this webinar. Could you give us a sneak preview of what to expect from the webinar? Sure, Raymond. I think this is going to be a great topic of discussion and of interest to a lot of organizations all over the world. With the pandemic, we've all learned that remote working is here to stay. It's not just a stopgap measure. And remote working has expanded beyond the hometown that a person might be living in and working in. People have realized that they now have the option to potentially move out of the very country that they were in and work from a different location. And organizations too have realized that they have potentially got the ability to hire talent in different parts of the world. Why limit yourself to hiring talent in, in just maybe Europe or the US where you have great talent available in, in countries like Thailand, Philippines, Malaysia, Indonesia, India. So this webinar is going to have a robust discussion on what are the issues that organizations need to keep in mind while they're looking at such remote working out of the countries out of which they primarily operate? What type of immigration issues are there to consider? What modes of hiring need to be kept in mind? Do you hire as employees? Do you hire as contractors? What type of risks are involved potentially? Tax issues, business registration issues, and how do you successfully create and craft a cross-border remote work policy that suits your organization. And tell the listeners, which countries will we be focusing on? So we're going to focus this discussion on Indonesia, Malaysia, the Philippines and Thailand, which we've seen and observed, you know, through interactions with our friends and colleagues in the ELA are key jurisdictions and countries where you know, queries and, and requests are received for such advice you know, as to whether or not people can shift or relocate to these countries and work from there or you know, what are the rules that organizations need to keep in mind when they're trying to hire people located from these countries. I see. Now, why is this topic a matter of concern recently? What has changed? Is it because of COVID? Yeah, so, you know, I think my experience has been, Raymond, that while organizations have always looked for good talent all over the world, COVID has made them realize they don't need to be confined to one physical location, right? COVID has also made people 
travel for various reasons. Now, if I were to take India as an example, and, and we keep getting a lot of these requests over here, we're finding that a lot of individuals who were otherwise working in, in the US or in Europe had to travel back to India due to COVID, right? For various reasons, to care for family members or to be closer to you know, family members while the pandemic was raging. There were also other reasons where people were stuck or stranded in India and similarly other countries because of you know, the restrictions on flying internationally. And that's where it became important for organizations to actually come to terms with the fact that they will have remote workers outside their countries, right? Outside of their typical mm-hmm. work locations. And you know, they cannot just stop operating or working for them. So what are the solutions to this? What are the risks? And what are the ways that they can mitigate those risks? That becomes very important for organizations to try and grapple around. Atul, I would like next to ask you this. Now, you practice employment law in India. And India is known to be a place where there's a vast resource of human capital and talent. Now, do you see remote hiring of employees that are based in India a challenge from the legal perspective? Right, Raymond. I think India has always been a a significant country when it comes to hiring well-educated and talented employees. And India has presence of some of the largest companies in the world who would like to set up operations here or who already have operations, right? And we are increasingly seeing queries, as I was mentioning, of organizations seeking inputs on whether they can hire remote employees or have employees who were otherwise working in in other countries travel and work remotely from India, right, during the pandemic. I think this does pose challenges under, you know, three to four key heads. First one being immigration issues. The second one being potential tax issues. The third being employment law issues and the fourth being potential foreign exchange issues. And let me very briefly talk about each one of these. So from an immigration perspective, right, especially in a situation where you have a U.S. citizen or maybe a European citizen who wants to travel to India and work from India, you will need to get them a sponsored work visa, right? You can't travel to India on a tourist visa and and continue to work from here, right? That violates our immigration rules. So there can be a first challenge on that front where, you know, you might need to consider how a work visa would be sponsored for someone working remotely from India. Now, that might not be a big concern for people who are of Indian origin and who hold what are known as overseas citizen of India cards because they can travel freely. But very often we do find that organizations have U.S. citizens who might need to travel to India because they have a spouse from the country or, you know, other reasons to be here. And, you know, sponsorship of a visa can prove to be a big challenge. The next issue that I talked about was, you know, potential tax. Now, under Indian tax laws and, you know, the OECD model and double taxation agreements, you will find that a foreign company that hires an individual as an employee in a country like India, potentially sets up a fixed place, permanent establishment in the country, right? Through the presence of their employee here. 
and what implications that have is for those organizations to be subjected to Indian taxation to the extent of their revenues or profits that are attributable to that fixed place permanent establishment. Uh, there are many other types of permanent establishments. There could be service fees, there could be fees based on the presence of equipment or assets here, right? There are varying rules as well associated with when a fee might be triggered. For example, if you were to hire someone not as an employee, but as a consultant, right? So the tax risk is a pretty important and material risk that organizations need to consider both when they're allowing employees to travel overseas and work or they're looking to hire fresh talent overseas, right, as employees. The next issue that I was mentioning is employment law. Now, very often you will find that if you want to hire someone as a U.S. entity or a European entity, you would get them to sign off on a contract which is subject to foreign laws, right? But India is one of those countries where uh, Indian courts and judges would be low to allow foreign laws to operate and govern that relationship, especially where it's an employer-employee relationship, right? Given that the person is actually living and working out of India. There have been precedents in the past where a foreign journalist was given the ability to rely on the Indian Working Journalist Act while she was here. And if a cue were to be taken from those precedents, you would pretty much find yourself in a situation where your foreign workers in India would rely on Indian employment laws, right? Now, Indian employment laws are far more employee-friendly. There are no concepts like actual employment here. Terminations have to be with reasonable cause. There are potential severance obligations. There are other statutory benefits like leave entitlements, etc., that you then need to plan for when you're looking to hire people, especially as employees. There are various solutions to this. You know, you could look at hiring people as contractors, but then, you know, you have to really think about how those arrangements are structured. You need to very carefully plan the payment terms, the, the kind of flexibility and freedom people have. Because in, in India, you would ultimately find that courts take a substance over form assessment while looking at claims. The last point that I wanted to briefly talk about is under Indian foreign exchange laws, where it's expected that any organization looking to do business in India would be expected to set up a legal presence in the country, either through a subsidiary or through a branch office or through a representative or a liaison office, right? depending on the nature and scope of their activities. So the moment you start looking to hire people as employees on your payroll, you also run the risk of Indian foreign exchange uh, regulators like the Reserve Bank of India and various authorized dealer banks that work for it, questioning why you are operating without a formal legal presence. And something like this could come into question or could get called into question when payments are being limited across borders, right, for the services being rendered. So that's the next risk that organizations need to be mindful of. Again, there are lots of solutions to consider for these things, including using the services of third-party employers on record, hiring as consultants or independent contractors, etc., which have to be examined on a case-to-case -case basis, depending on the organization's specific needs. 
and the activity that they want to allow their employees to conduct from India or the activities for which they're looking to hire people. And this is something that we are regularly advising a lot of clients on. Oh, excellent. Well, Arthur, this has been a very, very interesting discussion. I'm really looking forward to, to having you on the webinar next week. Thank you so much for your time, Arthur. It's been a pleasure. I would also like to welcome our listeners to register for the upcoming webinar on this topic, taking place on August 18th. You can find the link to register in the description of this podcast. If you'd like to connect with Arthur, please click on his biography in the description of this podcast. Also visit the ELA website at ela.law where you can sign up to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers and on-demand content from our online library and assess the ELA's exclusive global employer handbook. You have been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labour and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Raymond Lowe, and thanks for listening.